Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Doing the Thing podcast. Uh, today, we have a guest with us. We haven't had a guest in a little while, but I think uh, this is a really important time to do it because I think everyone's thinking about their finances right now. There's uh, folks that are getting you know, laid off or maybe they're looking at a career pivot, uh, things like that. A lot of that brings you to those thoughts of where's my money going? What am I doing with it? The gentleman on our podcast today is Frank Biscoff. And Frank and I met each other through a networking site called Success Champions. If anybody remembers our episode with Donna Bavine, he's the kind of the um, head honcho over there, I guess, so to speak. But we do a lot of virtual networking through Success Champions. And Frank and I had a virtual coffee one time, and which led to several other conversations. Frank is a financial advisor, and he does it in kind of a social what was the what was the term that you said phil socially responsible investing socially responsible investing so so with that i'll shut up and i'll let frank introduce <laughs> how you doing man well thank you so much for having me uh i listened to your podcast and it's it's really interesting, like how you take a small, somewhat obscure event and make it something of a conversation piece. So, uh, so thank you for having me. And um, yeah, as, uh, as Jason mentioned, I'm a financial advisor and I focus on socially responsible or sustainable investing. Uh, it goes by a lot of names. And uh, I get a great deal of joy from helping people, you know, like figuring out where the finances are and if they can align uh, the investments with the personal values. Uh, so it makes for some great conversations and, uh, and client interaction. So, so what, let's elaborate on that a little bit more. So, so what do you mean by something like investments into personal values? Well, uh, there, there are a lot of different ways to approach this one. Uh, the original, uh, let's, it, this is a history change. Channel, right, so like, let's go dive into history a little bit. Let's do it. Um, it, it started back in uh, like the seventies with the believers, the Vanderbilt family, uh, the family fortune. They started like saying, "Well, we don't want to invest in sin stocks, so tobacco, uh, alcohol, gambling, and so forth." So that's kind of like how it started, where you added a level of values to your investments. Over the past 50 years, that has evolved quite a bit from uh, being purely exclusionary, saying I do not want to invest in certain things, to being more inclusionary, uh, where it's like I do want to invest in maybe renewable or something promoting gender equality or, or that, uh, that type. And uh, nowadays, you can build an investment portfolio that can in incorporate these sustainable principles. On top of doing a regular financial analysis, you get good, solid companies. You also try to choose the ones that try to make the world a better place, or at least not make it worse. So there, there are a lot of different ways to go about it and, and uh, make the world a better place. is a very subjective statement. It, what I think reaches that, maybe different from what you think. And that's 
good for a client conversation. And there, there are a lot of different ways to, uh, to go about it. And as more and more data becomes available, you, you can structure the investments as you, as you wish. It could be that you are concerned with the environment. I know, Phil, you're in California. You may have experienced a wildfire or two. Uh, so environmental change is here. Um, and if you can uh, somehow make a small impact towards minimizing the impact we have on the environment, that could be one thing you're going for. It could be that you want to invest according to your religious beliefs uh, as well and promote, promote those. There are a lot of different ways to go about it uh, and what makes sense for you. Um, so so that, that's an interesting uh, conversation to have. And it used to be you had to have multi-billions to be able to do this, but now everyday investors can do it as well. So y you and me can actually make an impact with our money. Money talks. And if a lot of little folks get together and try to do something, it becomes a big thing. Like it, it adds up. If you get your yeah. your four one k, your time and money, and like your investments uh, aligned with a certain way, and you get your thousand closest friends to join you, you actually make an impact. Uh, so, uh, so that, that's kind of the journey I'm on to try to you know leave a positive stamp on on what we're doing. You know, it reminds me, uh, Frank, and thanks for sharing that story. Uh, powerful stuff. It reminds me of. Paul Doolin and the Green Marines, right? And he was a guest on our show, uh, <clears throat> I want to say Very season well. two, Jason, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, his focus was on the little difference it can make if you as a person, for instance, pick up a cigarette butt from the ground, right? And let's say you pick up one or two or three, you tell a few friends, they pick up one or two or three, a few more friends get recruited, they pick up one or two or three, pretty soon an entire city can be clean, right? Just by these little incremental things. And I guess what you're suggesting is as individual investors, as well as the Vanderbilts, if we focus ourselves on what matters to us and we enlist others to do the same, that aggregate total of investors can make a difference. But the question becomes this, Frank, why should people care? Money is money. Why not invest in the thing that they think is going to perform best, irrespective of its impact on the environment and, and everything else? What are your thoughts there? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And uh, one I don't think is, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. If you have a company that is, um, let, let's say, uh, has a diverse board uh, and diverse management suite, so they have, instead of being all same gender, like the typical historical white male dominated company. If you have a company that has a diverse, uh, diverse input, they have women on the board, they have minorities, they have different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, you, they make better decisions. One is they score better on gender equality, but, but it's more they make better decisions because they get better input and they, um, that way, the risks they take come a little more hedged. They're still taking risks as a company. That's what they're there to do. But they take, they have hedged the bets a little better. They've talked it through potential pitfalls. They got different ideas. So that actually becomes a better long-term investment. 
same, a company that is focused on, say, uh, environmental change, they, they know that their stakeholders, it's the shareholders, it's their employees, it's customers, it's the local community they work in. Uh, and if they, let, let's say, rising sea levels, for, for example, they make sure to uh, protect the factories that may be in a low-lying area. Uh, if, if their market is, uh, let's say, like you're working with emerging markets, Bangladesh is like pretty much at sea level. And if they would be greatly affected by rising sea levels. So if you uh, somehow in, uh, involved in protecting them, you protect your market, you protect your profits. Uh, so like, I think you get a better investment period by investing according to sustainable principles. Really? Uh, that, does not, uh, that does not necessarily mean that um, all sustainable companies are good investments. You have to do it on top of a financial analysis. Absolutely. So a follow-up question to that. Um, certainly, I'm aligned with environmental and social good movements. Certainly, I think equality you know, is important, and that diversity from the board through the management team <clears throat> matters as well. Um, so someone comes to you, Frank, and says, I want to do some investing. How do you guide them through the initial thoughts around where their social good monies can best be spent to perform well for them and then support the larger initiatives that you're talking about? Well, it's uh, a discussion of what kind of what, what matters to them. Uh, and uh, I'll run an analysis and say, okay, where are you invested now? Like, and most people, it is a um, kind of like a little, little, let's call it blah. They're invested in the market. There's no like, overlay to it and then so okay what what can we do and like would this be something that sits well with you or and most people have an environmental slant and it's kind of like an easy one it's also more measurable so like okay well what if we cut your carbon footprint in half on your portfolio that's equivalent to take say 20 cars off the road hey all of a sudden we're talking you know, like we're talking something that actually makes an impact. So, so that, that is usually the conversation starter. It's not like, there's no perfect way of doing it. There's no perfect company, there's no perfect investment, but getting started, that's the perfect first step. So just having the conversation, figuring it out, and then you can always fine tune over time and maybe just getting the thought process started you're like, oh, this is something. Can we do this also? Or can we so have this? Can you look at this as well? And all of a sudden, it becomes a, a conversation piece. Like how many people at a, not that there are too many cocktail parties nowadays, but how many people talk about their investments and their 401k uh, at a dinner party? No one. Right, with, with passion and purpose? Yeah, no one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so all of a sudden, it, be, it can become a conversation piece. Um, Interesting. So, so there, there are a lot of ways about it. Like, it doesn't like uh, even now, um, like with Black Lives Matter. How do you support something like that besides obviously making your uh, your voice heard? But like, you you can go back and like, what can I do? 
And maybe you're not one that goes out in the street to protest. Maybe you don't feel like writing your, your senator or whatever it may be. But maybe you take your money from the big bank and move it to a black-owned community bank uh, that serves those under the, the, their clientele is the underserved uh, neighborhoods that are predominantly uh, like black. And it's a way to improve access to banking and lending for, the, for those uh, neighborhoods, which is one of the reasons the inequality has developed and has been sustained for a while. Uh, so there, there are a lot of different ways you can do it, and there's not one size fits all. That's really interesting. I never really thought of it quite that way because sometimes you want to think about I, I need to invest it into this big company that can make huge systemic change across the country, across the world. But, you know, if we're just doing like, like Phil kind of going back to what Phil was saying, if we just do some of those little steps there, we can start making those going in that right direction. I think this is really in alignment with even job seekers today, you know, most millennials, most most of my generation and, and Gen X alike, we're looking at trying to find jobs and uh, do things that actually make a difference. We're not, uh, we're not like going into this corporate job. Most of us aren't going into a corporate job because just because it makes us money and is going to, you know, sustain us. We want to actually have some purpose in our careers. So why not have purpose in where our money's going? So this makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, and uh, again, if you're talking about a leverage factor, like you, you work for you know, a firm, maybe you're, as you said, millennial, you're just kind of, well, millennials are not just starting out anymore. Like you, you, you're pretty established. But talk to your HR about like offering socially responsible investments in your 401k and then utilize them. Uh, it's, it's one way to take your couple grand in your 401k and do something that's called a fun with it, something with a purpose. It is, you can, there are a lot of ways to do it where the returns are as expected. Like, let's say you invest in the S&P 500, broad market exposure, you can get a similar fund, with similar return profile, but just with, a sustainable screen on top of it. And it's not going to cost you anymore. Maybe a few basis points, but at the end of the day, that does not, uh, doesn't affect your, your performance. Nice, nice. So what, what got you started with all of this? I, I guess it's something that's kind of been brewing for, for a while. I just started out like back, uh, I'm from Denmark, so, and, I'm proud to say it's one of the leading countries with renewable energy. On a windy day, more than 100% of the electricity is wind powered. Beautiful. It's a, it's a small country, so, so obviously it may be easier to attain, but the number of windmills produced in Denmark or by Danish companies rival any of the big countries. So that's kind of like, I grew up like loving to see windmills. I think it's tranquility. It's yeah. like seeing that, like it's just a peace of mind. Some people hate the view of them. And if you live close to one, that's probably not nice because there's a little hum. But seeing them out like in the landscape as you're driving by, is, well, that's kind of how I grew up. But yeah, I, I started like um, uh, after college, I got into to finance and 
And yeah, that was that was a lot of good fun. I did like commercial real estate for a while in various aspects. But then eventually I landed in a role where I was working with, with clients and investments and uh, and that really made me realize that was the job I had always wanted. I just didn't know it. And then it became, so, okay, how can I shape this to be something that is me? Because I worked for a, uh, a firm that uh, did things the, the usual way. It just didn't, didn't work for me, I think, the sustainable aspect. At first, I did it more for like a feel-good, but then the more I looked into it, uh, it became clear to me that it could be a, just a better way to invest reduce some of the risks in your portfolio without sacrificing return. Um, so that was, um, I started what now two and a half years ago uh, on my own to, to do things my way. Uh, and to, I, I think a, a lot of the financial industry is a little broken. There is a conflict of interest built into most relationships. So I've tried to uh, to take some of those head, head on to, so I can have that productive conversation with, with clients and not feel like I'm selling to them, not feel like I am, uh, like that I'm on their side. Uh, so, so there are like a couple of different ways to, to do that. But, um, um, but yeah, one of the ways I did was instead, I, I charge a flat fee. Uh, for most of my clients. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how much money they have with me. I charge the same uh, because money management is scalable. It's the, where I really add the value. Besides, I think I do a great job with the, with the money management. But I, of course, I have to say that. But, but I think the planning is what really makes a difference. Like knowing where you are, where you're going, and how to get there. I love that it's a flat fee for your services because most financial advisors charge a percentage and it's a scalable percentage. So you're, it sounds like you're, you're not only helping you know, with the investments and, and helping get more money through them, but you're keeping more money in their pocket with that flat fee right there. Yeah, that, that, is, uh, that, that is part of the, the goal. Uh, people have worked hard to build their nest egg. Maybe they're close to retirement. Maybe they inherit money. It's, not, uh, it's no more work for me to manage like an extra, say, an extra million. I just buy a few extra shares. But what, what I have found over the years is uh, like four out of five clients don't tell their financial advisor everything they have. <laughs> because they feel like they're being sold to like, Oh, you should, you should roll over that 401k. You should do this because the advisor gets paid more. But how can I, as an advisor and planning first, how can I help you if I don't know where you are? Like if you, let, let's say you go to the, um, uh, a chiropractor and say, Oh, my right hip hurts, but you refuse to talk about your left knee that is busted. He cannot fix your right hip unless you also talk about the left knee. And it's one of those, unless I know everything you have, uh, it, it makes it harder for me to help you get to where you want to go. And I have, uh, after I changed my fee structure, which I did earlier this year, I've had much deeper client conversations 
because now they're not afraid to tell me things. Uh, they don't feel like I'm getting sold to. And uh, it means we can talk about the typical uh, conversation you have with a financial advisor. The first question is, oh, do you have a 401k? Let's roll it over. And, and that may be the right thing to do, uh, but it should be looked at what's the best interest of you as the client. Uh, and with this fee structure, more than likely, it is in your best interest to roll it over because it doesn't cost you anymore and it aligns with everything else. And um, uh, one of the reasons that it was, was that's called self-serving. It makes, uh, it, it, yes, I, that's a little more work, like managing the extra money, but it makes the planning so much easier because I don't have to go out and chase statements and get updates. I have everything, so it makes the planning conversation easier so we can get deeper into the conversation uh, without focusing on like, oh, let's update this data. I already have the data. Now let's talk about you. Where are we going with this? What do you want to do? And let's talk charities. What, what, what do you want to do and so forth? And if, if someone wants to write a $100,000 check to a charity, Great, let's do it. Let's figure out the best way to do it. And it doesn't take away from my earnings. I'm like, I'm tr what matters to me is what matters to the client. That's beautiful. And I, and I love the transparency. And more importantly, there is not a inherent conflict between you and a client where you're giving them advice that clearly lines your pocket more fully if they take it, right? Instead, you know, right. this is what it is. Therefore, let's just focus on what best performs for you. I'm curious, and this is not by any stretch of the imagination a political question. It might sound like it is, but that's not the direction I want to take this. Um, coming from Denmark, where you said over 100% of electricity on a windy day came from windmills, to the United States, where there's a little bit of controversy around, you know, renewable energy versus other energy sources. And I imagine that that might affect the mindset of people you might talk to. And so what was it like coming from Denmark to America where we have all these different views of what energy is and what the environment is? And I'm, I'm curious about that. Well, uh, Denmark was also a net oil exporter uh, on top of that. So uh, it's, really? it's, uh, it, it's, it's hard to do like it black and white. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, people say, let's support like, the fossil fuel industry is for national security. I, I, I personally, I think you increase that national security, uh, having the infrastructure in place by having multiple sources you can tap. And that could be you have fossil fuel reserves. You may not need to get them out the ground, but in need, if need be, they're there. But also having solar, having wind, having different renewable sources, uh, helps to create a much more stable grid. I don't know if you remember, like when the East Coast had a power outage several years ago, and it was kind of interesting to look at the map where like the whole East Coast was just black. There was not a single light bulb on anywhere. Uh, and that, ha having the different resources and having the electricity that comes in like from various sources helps protect that integrity of, of the grid. I, I have my personal views uh, from a political point of view, but I don't invest according to them because I think that um, you should invest based on what is 
best. And like an election cycle is between two and six years, depending which chamber you're looking at. A company is around for decades or even centuries. And if you're looking for to retire in 20, 30 years, you could have like X number of administrations in the meantime. If you invest according to your personal uh, political views, you could be on a downward slope or like it could be good or bad, but I don't think you should take that as much into consideration as choosing companies that are doing a great job at what they, they do. They create a profit and they have a positive impact on the society that they're part of. I think that is where you're going to see the when and uh, over a long period of time come up, come out ahead. Yeah, I really liked it. And I think that, you know, to, to Phil's point, I think we'd actually be surprised to find out how many Americans are, are actually interested in, you know, renewable energy and, and things like that too. Uh, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I grew up in what's called an earth ship in Southwest Montana. And that's something that's made out of, you know, re- reusable materials, tires, pop cans, uh, soda cans, uh, straw, mud. Uh, We had solar energy. We had wind generators. We had all that stuff. And we actually developed those around uh, the state of Montana. Uh, Those were invented by uh, Michael Reynolds and Dennis Weaver. Uh, I find them in old back issues of Mother Earth News. But, you know, when I'm looking at, you know, potential possibilities with, with clients in my coaching practice, I think like every three third person, at least three out of five people probably check on wanting to learn about businesses in, in the energy and renewable energy and things like that. Uh, so I think that there's definitely, you know, a case for it to, to invest in that more. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, like Phil mentioned as well, if you do an incremental change, like uh, my lawnmower, is battery driven and I get my power from a renew- from renewable power company. Mm-hmm. Sure it's delivered by the good old like grid operator in your area, but uh, I, I can't kind of say like I have a wind powered uh, lawnmower. And, and like it's it's not like much, but again if thousands of people do it, it becomes a thing. Wait, hold, wait. hold on, yeah. <laughs> Did you just say you have a wind powered lawnmower? So cool. Well, kind of, sort of. I get my uh, my electricity delivered by renewable energy. It's either hydro or wind, depending on the season, uh, and a battery-operated lawnmower. So by so extension, I have a wind. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. I was picturing this big fan and trying to figure out like how do you push the handle with the big fan and where's the fan facing and how do you get it into the wind. <laughs> uh, that, now, that, that, that would be pretty that would be pretty interesting though but uh, <laughs> yeah uh, uh, and one of the nice things is it uh, like uh, it doesn't pollute uh, and uh, it, it doesn't make as much noise as a gasoline driven so uh, it works for me now if you have a huge lot it may not because batteries don't have such life cycle but for a good little suburban uh yard it, it works works great very interesting um <clears throat> hey frank and just out of curiosity do the clients you work with often do charitable donations for good causes yes uh that that tends to be a um 
a big piece of uh, the conversation. Um, and some people like the idea, they just haven't gotten around to it. And with, with the new tax code, uh, it created some issues for, for charities. Even though it was, I, I like the changes, it made it simpler without like the, where their personal exemption went up and so forth. But it, it made it less attractive for most people to donate to charities because they couldn't deduct. Hmm. Uh, so uh, it doesn't changed. Uh, well, it was, it was a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, where, where they, uh, they they raised they they moved some of their the limits around. But uh, one way to do it, let's say you have a, a good year, um, or like you you have a lot of stuff going on. You want to um, so you have some cash laying around. Say you wanted to donate ten thousand per year over the next five years. That's your that's your goal. And, if you do all 50,000 at once, you get the full deduction up front. Now, I don't provide tax advice, but uh, just compliance uh, <laughs> stepping in here. But you can get the full deduction up front. You can uh, put it in your own, uh, kind of create your own charity. Uh, and then over the next several years, you can write out checks to the end recipient. And you can invest the money in the meantime to make it grow even more. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool way to go about it. Um, and it can be done, um, relatively cheap. If you start your own 501c3 or something, that's a lot of paperwork and stuff. This is kind of like the, the backdoor version of it. And what is great is if you have kids or relatives, you can bring them in to the conversation and say, okay, let's, let's sit down. We have our annual meeting in my foundation. Or whatever you call it, the uh, the the Madden Fund, uh, and and then say, okay, so uh, we have ten thousand to give out, and uh, make your pitch. Why should we support your charity? And if you make the store and you can convince me, here's a check. Uh, and it's a way to not only pass on money to the next generation, but also the values. Because a lot of people don't have that discussion with the next generation. And as you said, like a lot of the younger generation are very uh, interested and engaged in, uh, in more charitable work or making a positive impact. And it's one way to, to help that uh, conversation along the way. I really like that alternative to a 501c3. I know a lot of uh, veterans that get out and they want to start those nonprofits. Uh, usually they're geared to some type of veteran resource or something like that. And they really want to be, you know, philanthropists, but they can't seem to generate the, the funds that they need through, through those nonprofits. But doing it in a different way through their own investments, I think that's that's a great alternative. Plus they could they can support anything that they want. They could diversify it instead of piping it into just one cause. Well, it's one of those. It also helps you keep the charity accountable. Yeah. Uh, let, let's say you wanted to support a, a smaller organization that does great work in your local community, uh, but you don't feel like giving them 20000 right now may be the best option. Instead, you can say, okay, here's the deal. I'll give you 5000 for the next five years if you keep doing what you're doing and if they play nice and they get the money and they can budget because they know that money is coming which helps them out because most charities are very short term because the funding is very short term 
Right. So if they know they have money coming in over five years, they can plan, they can uh, create more ongoing uh, Value. Uh, services. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of those things, it's not a quick fix. It's a long haul. And by helping that along the way, uh, I think it's a win-win. And if all of a sudden it changes or they shut down, you have that money, you can give to someone else who is... Um, um, it will meet your, your standards. So it retains some level of control. Uh, and there are billions of dollars in these, uh, in these funds. Um, I'm a big believer in the money should be given out, but doesn't have to be given out like right away. Uh, you, you can retain some control because if you can help educate the next generation or generations, uh, that's a lot of value as well. Because the beautiful thing about this one is it could live indefinitely. So let's say your grandparents donated a hundred thousand to this one, and over time it grows, and like you get into the conversation, your kids get into the conversation, and and it becomes like a a sense of pride for the family. We have this legacy. It was created by you know like the patriarch or matriarch of the family. And like here we are four generations later, we're still like back to the Vanderbilts. You have this legacy and you're doing something good with it. I think that that has, a, has huge value. So, so those are the conversations I find to be really interesting. And uh, again, it works well with like the conflict of interest because I'm a big, if you have too much money, you no, know, like money has no value until you spend it or give it away. Uh, and this is one way to create the value of both short-term and long-term. That's, uh, that's very true, right? Money does not have value until, until you spend it or you use it for something of value, right? Um, right. That's amazing, man. I, I really love what you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I want to leave, leave everybody with your contact information. And uh, so, Tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. And I know you mentioned that you do some, some type of a, a free assessment or something like that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, if, if any of your, your listeners are interested in having a conversation, no strings attached, let's just talk about like uh, how you can create an impact and I'll help you analyze what, what, how you're currently invested and how you can go about changing that to, to kind of bring a little more value to the table. But yeah, you, you can find me uh, online. My website is 44financial, uh, F-O-R-T-Y, the number four, financial.com. Uh, or you can uh, look me up on LinkedIn or, or Facebook and, and connect with me that way. Um, or you can wander through the neighborhood so, and find his wind-powered lawnmower and stop him. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it stands out. So, you know, like, does that big big propeller there so yeah <clears throat> awesome outstanding man. frank it has been such an honor to have you on the show i learned a lot and it really makes me stop and think and i hope everybody listening stops and thinks not just what am i doing with my investments but are my investments having an intrinsic value right to the world am i advancing the causes that are important to me can i be proud of where my money's going and how it's working and am i invested in the right things that align with my family and goals and i love this value based investment and passing that down across generations i just 
I really align so well with all the things you've talked about. So really an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I know I did most of the talking, but uh, I, I love the, the back and forth. And, uh, and yeah, I, I can I, I really appreciate your show. And like, it has a nice, just positive uh, energy to it. So uh, thank you so much for having me here. Yes, our pleasure. All right, everybody, we will see you next week on a new episode. Frank, again, have a great day. Thank you so much. We'll get your contact information in the show notes. Well, thank you so much. All right, everybody. Everybody, thanks, everybody. See you next time.